today, uh, let's start in Matthew 8, verses 19 and 20. It's so short, I feel the need to check that I've actually got it right. However, three verses that have got punched, so let's uh, give them their all as if they were 40. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And our second reading is from chapter 5, verse 3, so a couple of pages before. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Shall we just pray? One of the, um, one of the examples um, of Jesus in the New Testament, in the Gospels, is of Jesus the Good Shepherd. And of course, a good shepherd knows his sheep um, inside out. And so let's pray that the God who knows each one of us personally might speak into our hearts and minds this morning in a way which he knows we need to receive. So may we each hear and receive that which we need to, words of affirmation, encouragement, words of challenge that speak richly into our own lives and the life of our church. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There have been some great social and political movements throughout history. Movements which have energised people, movements which have given people a cause which they fought for even at the cost of their lives. And Christianity is, is, is one such cause, and we'll come on to that in a second. Um, but uh, the hymn, Amazing Grace which I think most of us are familiar with, originally written by John Newton, then um, a contemporary version written by Chris Tomlin, uh, which contains the line, My chains are gone, I've been set free. Uh, Two lines which speak, of course, of Jesus Christ, but inspired by the desire and, and cause of John Newton to see the slave trade abolished. And, and we know that the slave trade is, is not abolished in reality, but there's some comfort in Newton's work of abolishing it in, in law. Um, but these movements bring life and energy to people. Um, and we Christians are part of a movement, it's called the Kingdom of God. And Christians today, as we gather in worship, are laying down their lives for this movement in countries where Christians are persecuted for confessing the name of Jesus, for worshipping in public with boldness and courage. People will be arrested today and tortured today for the faith that we freely gather to celebrate here. And we should always be mindful of the persecuted church. So we're studying this morning what this kingdom is, what its characteristics are, and what our part in building it is. And in order to unpack the kingdom of God, to give us a handle on it, we're going to focus on the Beatitudes and we're going to focus on a Beatitude a week for the next five or six weeks and to really get into what the kingdom of God is all about. But a guy called Stu Garrard, who um, many of you will know as uh, the former guitarist with Delirious, 
um, has written a book called Words on the Hill. It's a great book. I'm going to read to you an excerpt from it at the end of this talk. Um, but he's just led something called the Beatitudes Project, uh, which Words on the Hill, the book, is a part of. But there's also an album called the Beatitudes Project. And there's a website you can go on and check it out. Um, but from the album, we have this spoken word performance. So that's the vision of the Beatitudes, and we'll be exploring that over the coming weeks. The Beatitudes will be familiar scripture from Matthew 5 for many of us, um, but it would have been even more familiar for disciples in the first century. If you were a Christian, uh, learning what it was to follow Jesus in the first century, you'd have been taught uh, three central texts of the Christian faith. You'd have been taught um, the creed of the church, what Christians believe. You'd have been taught the Lord's Prayer as a model of how to pray. And you'd have been taught the Beatitudes um, as uh, an instruction in how Christians should live their lives. So this text that we're a bit familiar with, we'd recognise because of the repetition of blessed are you, was a central text of instruction in the early church. So let's unpack some brief points about the character of the Beatitudes, which will underpin our series. And I have um, six brief points. Firstly, they're given by Jesus. The Gospel of Matthew records the Beatitudes as direct speech. And so they're significant for us. Secondly, they're included as part of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, where we discover what it is to live well for Jesus Christ. Thirdly, each beatitude starts with the assurance of God's blessing. We saw this um, on Liz's image um, which is the next slide, actually. Um, so we saw this on Liz's image, and each beatitude starts with this assurance of God's blessing. Blessed means that God's favour and goodness rests upon the person who exhibits these character traits. Fourthly, the kingdom is all about character. God's character of blessing and then our response to that character. And so the inclusion of the Beatitudes at the start of the Sermon on the Mount underlines the importance of our being coming before our doing. 
our being coming before our doing. Fifthly, the Beatitudes underline the reality that the kingdom of God is both now and not yet. We're called to exhibit these kingdom character traits of being non-materialistic, of embodying humility, um, of being people who pursue peace, of people who practice forgiveness and mercy, and people who hunger after God so that we might realize a fuller revelation of God's kingdom in time to come. For example, if we're seen to deal well with conflict rather than to use it destructively, we will be seen revealed to be children of God. And finally, number six, the Beatitudes mark us out as distinctive followers of Jesus, living countercultural lives. Blessed are the poor in spirit is unlikely to become a popular message in our society where uh, materialism and wealth accumulation are high priorities on the agenda. But Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. So it's a countercultural message. And one last point. The Beatitudes are about how we shape our discipleship. They are about our character and how we live for Jesus. But they should also be about how we understand and frame our understanding of the world around us and influence how we interact with that world. So in recent elections that happened over the past week, how did you allow God's teaching on mercy to shape your view on welfare policy? Or how did you um, take the encouragement to be peacemakers to shape your view of international aid budgets or defence spending? We are called not only to be kingdom people, but to have a kingdom perspective. So let's jump straight into exploring the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, often when we're seeking to understand what the scriptures are saying to us, I often think it's important to understand what they're not saying to us, just as much as it's important to understand what they are actually saying to us. Um, Because um, uh, uh, confusions come from not really grappling uh, with what the scriptures are not saying. So here are a couple of things that I want to draw out, which, um, which we're not being told in this beatitude. So to be poor in spirit, these are two things that we're not being told are to do with being poor in spirit. Firstly, we're not being told to be poor. The Bible sees poverty very clearly as an injustice. And kingdom people are not being called to the kingdom are to be involved in setting people free from poverty, not pushing themselves and others into it. And if you're very quick and you turn to Isaiah 58 and verse 6, or just listen to me read from it, you'll read these words. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with a shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them, and not to run away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. 
If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with a pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will shine in the darkness and your night become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and you will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. We see such a clear exposition in those scriptures of God's heart for the hungry, the oppressed and the homeless. There's nothing wrong with choosing to live a non-materialistic life. There's nothing wrong with choosing to live a simple way of life. But this first beatitude is not calling us to be poor. The second thing poor in spirit does not mean. Being poor in spirit is not an invitation to put ourselves down. To believe ourselves to be without purpose and value. We are created in the image of God. We bear his likeness. And the Bible tells us that we became God's children at great cost. And therefore we're certainly not called to be poor in spirit in the sense of putting ourselves down. Henri Nouwen is a great spiritual writer, someone I enjoy reading, and someone who's profoundly shaped my view of who Jesus is. But relevant to this point about not putting ourselves down, Henri Nouwen wrote these words. Self-rejection is the great enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts that sacred voice that calls us beloved. Let me just read that again. Self-rejection is the great enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts that voice, that sacred voice, that calls us beloved. And then a slightly challenging point that we're to draw about what poor in spirit doesn't mean. Uh, Sometimes there's a temptation to falsely put ourselves down, um, to suggest that we are without purpose or value, but not to mean it. And sometimes that's done in order to attract the affirmation or encouragement or praise of others. And the challenging point here is at its simplest level, that's an expression of pride. And we should seek to avoid that in in trying to be genuinely poor in spirit. So I hope those two points are helpful in shaping what living out, blessed um, are the poor in spirit, isn't. So now, how can we embrace this kingdom character trait in our lives? But just for a moment, I, I want to invite you to be still. If you find it helpful to close your eyes, you can close your eyes. If not, then don't worry. Um, but in your mind's eye, to allow yourself to journey to a hillside north of the Sea of Galilee. You're overlooking calm waters and you're, over, and you're surrounded by hundreds if not thousands of other people who have heard about a man who's saying new things. And as you sit there on this hillside, you start to hear this guy talking. And he's got a new message. He's saying something which hasn't been heard before. There's something really different and distinct about him. And as you listen, really listen to his words, your heart begins to hope 
and you see a new adventure in life ahead of you. There are so many moral, religious, philosophical systems that teach us how we ought to live our lives. They're quite prescriptive and and direct and in some cases very narrow. Jesus does something radical in a Sermon on the Mount and particularly in the Beatitudes. He doesn't seek to control but rather offers values, the characteristics that the kingdom requires. There is no denial in the Beatitudes of our uniqueness, of the fact that our lives can take radically different paths. But there lies in these scriptures the value and character of kingdom living that means that we can enjoy the goodness and favour of God wherever we find ourselves. That's why we keep talking about front lines in this church community. Because if you're prepared to let these kingdom values and characteristics shape your life, then as a reality, God's goodness and favour overflow into all the front lines, into all the spaces where you exist during the week. And as we said before, we can take huge encouragement as I look around um, this, this church community and think about the different spaces I know you to, to be living and working in over the course of the next week. It's an amazing thing to think that God's goodness and favour could impact others and reveal the kingdom of God. So back to today's verse. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we're not called in the Bible either to the reality of poverty or to an attitude of poverty. Part of the rationale behind this is revealed in Jesus' conversations with those he met. Two examples being the calling of the first disciples and the rich young ruler. In both instances, the key thing to note is the presence of choice. To the first disciples, leave your nets, come and follow me. To the rich young ruler, forsake all and follow me. In both these instances, there is the invitation of Jesus to someone else to follow him and in order to do that, to lay aside some things that would otherwise distract from that new calling. But note again the choice of the first disciples and the choice of the rich young ruler to accept or reject the invitation. True poverty is almost always characterised by the absence of choice. People don't choose freely to avail themselves of food banks. They use them out of necessity. And as I meet week in, week out clients using our food bank in Camborne, I'm struck by feelings of entrapment and the absence of choice. So Jesus is concerned for the poor. He embraced a lifestyle which enabled him to come alongside those in poverty. But he was always amongst the poor to release them from their oppression. In fact, one of the beautiful things I think people who don't know Jesus yet discover him can experience is that Jesus is someone who invites and gives choice in an experience of life that so often denies choice. And the only way of accepting this choice that Jesus offers us, offered the first disciples, offered the rich young ruler, and many more, is to embrace a poverty of spirit. So if we've looked at what doesn't um, characterize a true poverty of spirit, we need to find out what does. So I have three points um, for you. Firstly, we're to trust in God. Our lives as Christians are not our own. 
In baptism, we were marked out by the Holy Spirit as God's children. And so being poor in spirit means trusting in God's love and care for us. A scripture which has been with me for several months now, and I keep coming back to repeatedly in my prayer life, is is 1 Peter 5 verse 7. Cast all your anxiety onto him because he cares for you. 1 Peter 5 7. Cast all your anxiety onto him because he cares for you. So the first point about being truly poor in spirit is that we are to trust in God. Secondly, we're to recognize what we need. Our needs are both material, they're to do with food, clothing, shelter, but they're also emotional. We need positive, nurturing relationships around us in our lives. And they're spiritual. There, there is what we call you know, that God-shaped hole, that, that desire instinctively in us that there is something greater than ourselves, that we need something greater than ourselves, which we start to call God and as we find out more about him. So we need to recognize our physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. There's an alternative translation of this morning's um, Beatitude, uh, which we heard, um, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The message translates it quite radically differently, and, and I enjoy it. So this is from the message. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. So trust in God. Recognize your needs. The third thing is interdependence. We need others to have our physical, our emotional, and our spiritual needs met. We need the help and support of others. And we need to recognize that we play a part as a membership of a community. And that book that I mentioned, Words from the Hill by Stu Garrard, which is all about the Beatitudes, concludes his chapter on being poor in spirit with these words, which I found helpful in in encouraging myself about these scriptures, and I hope they're an encouragement to you as well. You are blessed when you're poor, poor in spirit, spiritually bankrupt, pathetic, bedraggled, confused, Morally empty, believing that there is nothing good left within you, because the God who is reordering, remaking, restoring, and reshaping the world is with you. God is on your side. Because the God who is ordering, remaking, restoring, and reshaping the world is with you. God is on your side. I have some questions for you to ponder. I wonder if you want to continue to be still. I wonder if we might invite the Holy Spirit to come and reveal that which needs to be revealed as we ponder these questions. What are the riches and resources that sustain our lives and for which we give thanks.
What does our poverty prompt us to call out to God for? Where might God be calling us to bring a fresh openness to him, others, and life itself? Almighty God, in Christ you make all things new. Transform the poverty of our nature by the riches of your grace. And in the renewal of our lives, make known your heavenly glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.